this is coming from my experience as growing growing up as a as a man mm. um male presenting or being raised you know you were raised a man to be a man yeah that's you? that's what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's what i mean yeah uh, <laughs> is um being a mansplaining being a man yeah <laughs> i love that journey for us <laughs> <laughs> but it's come full circle hasn't it that's brilliant <laughs> I'm good. It's um, our uh, third episode. Third, second. Are you going to start counting again because it's a new year? Yep, that's the idea. <laughs> no, we won't do that. It's we'll... only our second episode of the year, by the way, not the third. Yeah, yeah. I going to say I'm losing count already. But it's <laughs> it feels like I don't know. I've just got back from Australia, everybody. I've just been on a trip to Sydney to see everybody that I... She left me at home. Family and all that, yeah. It was uh, I usually sad. try to escape <laughs> the dark, cold, rainy That's two the, months. Those are not adge- adjectives to describe me. Oh, you're talking about England. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> uh, so I try to go home to the summer if I can. And it was a bit of a whirlwind two weeks, but... Despite the weather, it's nice to be back. I was going to say, now you're back and you're ill already. Well, I just noticed my sinuses are all gross. Like the lime scale affects my skin. So when I'm at home, it like clears up and I feel like a normal human. (laughs) And I come back and I've got like crusty fingers and stuff. It's gross. In poly news. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's lots. There's lots. There's lots that's been going on. Yeah. Um, First of all, thank you. I think we probably already said thank you for for the you know the the interaction the the what's the word I'm looking for the engagement the engagement thank you (laughs) thank you for engaging in our recent posts about being secondaries and whether or not people actually enjoy it and it turns out that many of you do and we've had such a great response that I think we're just going to go ahead and do a whole episode on on that at some point so. Watch this space. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. It's um, it's such an interesting topic, I think, because, and we'll obviously get into this in more depth, but I just think it's so thought provoking because we, you know, our society and how things are, you know, you're taught to never want to be, quote, secondary, and and so to have a whole school of people that are like. Yeah, I don't mind it. Yeah. Is is it's really interesting. So I can't wait to dig into that in the future. Absolutely. Good. And we'll leave it at that for now because otherwise we'll just be stepping on that episode. So um And I we could just talk about it forever really because it's yeah, really interesting. Yeah. So Um so there's been a lot of about a lot of tip of the tongue, teeth in the lips. <laughs> Uh, there's been a lot of polyamory in the news recently. <laughs> most, most, uh, well, I suppose high, highest profile would be the this morning interview yeah. that they did with um, with the uh, the quintuple the quad. No quintuples quad, five. No, yeah, the quad 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 the quad. Quadruple. It's um just for those who are our international audiences. ITV is a television station here in the UK. 
if you're Australian, it's similar to Channel 10. Uh, I can't help you with the American audiences, but I feel like it's very similar to, to Channel just 10. Just to confuse you, uh, ITV is Channel 3 here. Uh, <laughs> it's the first one that's independent from state media, uh, which we call the BBC, um, of, of great fame. Uh, just to go into all the different <laughs> levels of, of British television here. Then you have Channel 4, which used to be parts... No, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this morning is on ITV. Yeah, yeah, And correct. it's kind of a magazine show. Um, they have, yeah. Just... It's like this morning is literally what it sounds like. It's like a breakfast yeah, it's show. It's like Good Morning America. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Today, sunrise for Australian but listeners. Prob- but probably shitter. <laughs> Less production value. I don't know. And it's pretty popular. This morning's very popular. It was, and then there was a huge scandal involving the presenters. Google it, guys. British, yeah, which our British uh, li- uh, listeners will know. We're not going to go into it here. We'll it's go into it. too much. Yeah. It's all a bit messy. Um, but yeah, so there was a quad that went on ITV um, at time of airing this episode about five days ago. And it's, it's uh, yeah, it was like a husband and his three wives and they kind of talk about their relationship and we've watched the segment and it's really interesting it's yeah. uh well we've watched we've watched some of the segment yeah true the, yeah. the, the, the stuff that was available mm-hmm. to us quickly mm-hmm. um <laughs> uh, yeah so it's it is interesting one because i want to start with the presenter one of the presenters who mentions that she's got a husband and mm-hmm. I'm presuming monogamously because of the way that she words the questions. But the thing that I really liked about the way she worded the question was that she immediately acknowledged that her question was about was that she was about to ask would, would say a lot more about her and and her uh insecurities and just the way that she lives her life than it does about them like she acknowledged that immediately off the bat which honestly is the first thing that everyone should do when questioning any aspect of anyone's identity that they don't share Mm. so that was like textbook uh interview questioning i think yeah i think she did a really good job of just saying I'm just trying to relate this to my life and so this probably does say more about me than someone else than you guys but it, then she kind of asked about jealousy and, mm-hmm. and, and how she might feel jealous and is that something that you also experience? And yeah. I actually thought it was a really, I just thought it was a really like authentic way to approach a topic that you're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like most people are coming to the non-monogamy world with with maybe not having experienced it before or maybe you haven't, but like at some point it's going to be new to you because it's going to be new to everyone um, because of the society that we live in. And I just thought she actually handled that really well. Mm-hmm. And um, respectfully. Yeah. And, yeah. and I just think that's such a good way. And I think that's something I will take forward when I'm asking questions about things that I might not understand or, or know about particularly well. But I thought the, yeah, like, you know, the, the, the quad that was on explained things really well and you know I think this interview has really been picked up a lot by other media and the headline that you know we're look I'm looking at Google now and um just the headlines around this and they always pick up almost all the headlines are about this husband that has three wives who call him king and yeah 
I mean, a little bit more sensationalist. Yeah. And so I think like it's interesting because the coverage of this interview that I've noticed is like there's a lot of sensationalizing it, but there's also a lot of discussion about jealousy. Yes. And on that note, the one of the ladies in the relationship did openly, you know, admit to having feelings of jealousy and and sort of discussed um, how that's changed over time. And so, yeah, like that was it's always good to acknowledge the jealousy and acknowledge that that is because at first, I think when they were introducing when they were introducing the the topic, they said that there was no jealousy, which I sort of winced at because I was like, well, that's a misconception. Like, the jealousy mm. still happens. Uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, that was interesting. And I'm glad that she brought that up and I'm glad that she sort of kind of retroactively uh, or accidentally corrected them on that and sort of said, no, there, there has been jealousy. That's still, you know, still a human thing. Um. I do want to address the whole king thing, though. Mm. I'm not. I don't know what their what their dynamic is. Maybe there's a subdom thing going on there, and that's totally cool. But I don't know. I feel like that there is a bit of. I don't know. Does he call them his queens? Well, I mean, it's not said. The thing is, because then like, they're equals, right? Whereas if he's king, then they're like it's, it's like a bit of a patriarchal thing going on. Well, I mean, from what I can see from here is like this is a closed quad, so and all the women are bisexual, hmm. so you know they all are free to have a relationship and explore with each other. And I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know, like. Is it patriarchal? Is it not? Who knows? And we don't know what their relationship is like. Mm. They're the only four people that know what their relationship is like and what the dynamics of that are. So if that's something they want to do, that's fine. Live your truth. Yeah. What I think is really interesting is that this king thing has been pulled out as a headline. Yeah, it's true. And it what it and what it says is like I think for me, looking at this, it very much says, look at this dude who's got three wives. That's the dream. Three women. Like he's a king, you know, and I think it really feeds into the coverage of this really feeds into this idea of like, you know, men are having their cake and eating it too and doing all these things and women are such sluts and they Mm -hmm. don't care. And Mm -hmm. I think that that really perpetuates these stereotypes that just Mm -hmm. are not true. That's and true. That's true. I can't comment on their relationship, but I can comment on the coverage that we're seeing. Yep. And I just think that really stood out to me. Yep. Because it's like when you watch the interview, the women are really well-spoken and strong. And so they don't fit these stereotypes. But when we continue to see this hypersexualization, that is going to perpetuate stereotypes that are not true. Yeah. And also, I mean, the way that uh, the questions were answered as well, it did seem very much like... I mean, the woman, the women took the lead in, in the interview, uh, what we saw of it anyway. And also everything that... I can only speak for one, one lady here, but the, the one lady that we heard answering a question here, she said everything that I would expect to to 
come out of the mouth of someone who's been practicing polyamory for a while and understands the sort of healthy and unhealthy aspects uh so yeah that's i mean she was also able to admit that she'd felt jealous and i think that's a real show of strength and a real show of just introspection yeah and she also said that she like she uh, when she got when she got past those initial jealous feelings she was very much like this is a learning opportunity this woman is like making someone i love happy in ways that i can't and i can learn from her how to be I, i mean just learn how to be a better partner i guess in general and also just a more secure person etc cetera, etc cetera. so and that's that's the that's a great way of looking at it rather than you know just being like oh this person's here to take my man away from me mm. which is inherently sexist in any way <laughs> right absolutely i think you can tell it like they've all been on a journey and it's actually yeah. really nice to see this sort of representation um regardless mm-hmm. of what the coverage of it might be i think it's really brave to go yeah. on yeah. on national television and talk about these things so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, power to these people because they're contributing to the narrative. So I think it's pretty impressive. Um, But something that I think is also really interesting that was mentioned in the interview and in all the articles as well is um, about the financial elements of this. And it's something that I've noticed a lot in the media recently is people talking about being non-monogamous and living with multiple partners because it helps bring the cost of stuff down. Mm-hmm. When you've got more than one or more than two adults that are earning money, yeah, yeah, it means that like, and they mentioned in the, the quad that was on ITV, have 11 children between them and they don't have to pay for childcare and they can all share the cost of things. And they kind of reference living together as mm-hmm. a four, mm-hmm. being able to battle the rising cost of living. Well, this is Easier? It. We're, we're living in a in a time of crisis when it comes to cost of living, hence the term cost of living crisis. Um, <laughs> uh, but but this is this is something even before it is that, what it says on the tin. Yes, exactly. But even before <laughs> the the quote unquote cost of living crisis, this is something like oh, millennials and after can't afford to buy a house, and it's true. Like. You're incredibly lucky if you're a millennial and you have managed to buy a house between two people or as a single person. Like, props to you, but that's not the reality for most people. So maybe this is a solution in a way. Either, I mean, it doesn't have to be through polyamory, but you could, you know, um, uh, what's the word? Shack up. With uh, <laughs> with another couple. What is the technical term for that? Shack up. Shack up. Yes. You could shack up with another couple, mm. for example. Mm. But um, but also, yeah, like if people are, you know, looking forward, you know, thinking progressively about this and are open to the idea of polyamory if it's not a choice for them, then there's another reason to give it a go. You might save yourself some cash. I, I assume that you can have more than two, like, buyers on it. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, like a mortgage or whatever of course you can yeah at the end of the day more like it's any with, with any property that you own like a business might be under exactly. more than yeah okay yeah. i just like yeah i wasn't sure about that um but yeah like there's a another article that came out uh like at time of this episode airing just a couple of days ago um about it's a new york 
Post article and it's the headline is I live with my husband and my boyfriend. Polyamory is the only way we can afford a home. And it basically says like they're struggling to pay rent, but then when they welcomed a new person into their home, they like were able to pay more bills and make ends meet and mm. like when they had this relationship. And I think like, you know, who many of the people that we've spoken to on this show talk about social shifts and and how non-monogamy there's a rise in non-monogamy for many reasons like it's not a new thing it's just like it's coming back into sort of the popular culture and part a lot of that is like the social and economic pressures of the time and we are absolutely seeing that with like housing is so unaffordable people struggle to make ends meet and yeah if you could have another person or two that you're committed in a committed relationship with to like help. We can all pitch in together and pay the bills. I mean, makes sense. Well, it's also, well, this, it's like another, another wave, um, it could, or it could be responsible for another wave. This, you know, this cost of living issue, but it's like, not unlike the proliferation of contraception becoming widely available mm. that enabled people to have more sexual partners safely. So it's it's almost like that kind of, you know, free love and that whole era, although I don't think many people were using condoms widely anyway uh, in the free love movement, but, you know, um, <laughs> maybe they were. But um, Safer sex, people, safer sex. Yeah. But um, free, safe love. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I think it's another, it's yet another sort of reason <laughs> that it's, a feasible option for, for people if if, it, if it's not already uh, your sort of orientation and you feel like, for example, like me, that uh, regardless of those things, it's the way I live. Oh, I'm absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I know there's a lot of discussion and we've talked about it a lot on the show as well about, you know, how we all live. And I think as non-monogamous people you do naturally question relationships and structures mm -hmm. and having people who on the show or potential like pers I guess we're having one in the future that live in like some more communal spaces and more communal living styles rather than being isolated in the way that many of us are now we live alone or with one other person like you can understand why that is and so much of like non-monogamy being back on the rise again it, there's so many reasons for that um mm -hmm. and it's just like anything when anything becomes popular there's many reasons for that reason for, for that becoming popular and it's just like more and more i'm seeing this sort of news line about oh well we're polyamorous but it also really helps financially guys I don't know. It's not crazy for that to be a reason why you'd want to explore this. Well, I mean, the reason why m marriage was ever a thing was mostly financial. Yeah. <laughs> so, and still is for a lot of people, mm. you know. Uh, but yeah, so. Yeah. But uh, I think just as a side note, I feel like the advent of social media and sort of the the ever accelerating nature of society, like things are fa you know faster and faster we live faster and faster mm. because of things like social media and the internet and whatever means that we have access to more information. We can sort of grow maybe faster than we used to because, because we can take in more information that allow has allowed people at a younger age to, uh, and just in general 
to find out more things about themselves as well. This is just me. Maybe maybe this is idealistic because let's face it, most people use the internet for things they probably shouldn't be. Um, but um, or, or maybe shouldn't be as much as they do. Um, but but you, you get where I'm coming from. I think that people have the more information available to them to to grow and explore things like polyamory and non-monogamy. I mean, this is what happened in the. We, we've all, I think we've already mentioned the pandemic and lockdowns. Yeah. Um, and people had a lot of time with their own thoughts, you know. Um, so there's another, perhaps another reason. I mean, we are in a unique time in history in be, because of, as you mentioned, the amount of information that we have access to. So, you know, for the first time, you can have an idea pop into your head or learn about learn a new term and go, huh. I didn't know what that was. Google it and find like 12 Facebook groups, five subreddits and 15 million discords where you can find like all of that, that community pretty quickly. Mm. And so we do have community at our fingertips in many respects. And so it means that you can connect and that you can be open to trying things that you may not have tried before. And I mean, I am a firm believer that life is one big experiment. So I, you're more likely to come into term come into contact with different things and try different things and explore more. So, yeah, I think it's a really interesting sort of area. And that's really. exactly what our alien overlords think too. Okay, cool. Or what about the people that are like in charge of the simulation? Do they think that too? They're the same people, babe. Oh, okay. The um, alien overlords are in charge of the simulation. Yes. Okay, right. Exactly. Sorry, I didn't quite realise they were the same thing. My um, apologies. You can join me next week on uh, Alex Jones's podcast. Uh, <laughs> no, you'll never see me on Alex. <laughs> Christ. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've got a. We've got, speaking of going on other people's podcasts, we've had someone come on our podcast. Obviously, you know that from the title uh, in this episode yes. as well, as usual. Um, so let's shall we, shall we go and speak to them? Yes, Gigi Engel. She's a absolutely brilliant educator and um, sex therapist and we had such an amazing discussion with her so really excited to share it with you mm. and uh yeah, as you'll know from the intro i do mansplain being a man to richard uh in this episode so please enjoy it <laughs> it's one of my finest moments mansplaining <laughs> gets inverted <laughs> uh, but it's okay because there's no <laughs> There's no systemic prejudices. No. It's just funny. And you are a man, but you're also not. You yeah. are and you aren't. Thanks for explaining that so- to me. <laughs> Non-binary explaining to me. <laughs> right, let's uh, go talk to Gigi. Let's talk to Gigi. <laughs> In a bit. <laughs> Our guest today is an award-winning author, certified sex and relationship psychotherapist, specializing in gender, sexuality, and relationship diverse clients. They're the writer of the book, All the Fucking Mistakes, a guide to sex, love, and life, and most recently was nominated for an Xbiz Award for Sexpert of the Year. Please welcome Gigi Engel to the Polly Podcast. Yay. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. We're very excited to have you here, and we'd love to hear just to start with if our if our guests, if our listeners aren't familiar with your work or who you are, just a little bit about 
what you do, how you came to work in this area, and then just separately to that, if you could also explain what a sex therapist does, that'd be really interesting as well. Sure, totally. Okay, so I'm Gigi Angle. I am a sex and relationship psychotherapist, and I am a writer and journalist, so I cover a lot of sexual health stuff, specifically around kink and polyamory and open relationships. I started in this business uh, about a decade ago. I was writing for a small millennial uh, publication, and I just started writing about sex because I noticed there just wasn't a lot of really good sex feature journalism. It was kind of like a lot of like, this is how to make your man happy and try this position tonight and blow his mind. And I was like, okay, girl. So like <laughs> I started doing a lot more like investigative stuff. There's so many good and amazing sex writers out there now, but I'd like to think I was one of the first really good ones. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, then I got certified in sex education. And when I moved to London, I decided to go back to school to study psychotherapy specifically psychosexual therapy. And this is how we are here today. Um, and I, when I was working um, on my placement and doing specialist training, I decided to specialize in gender, sexuality, and relationship diversity. So that's our poly fam, our open people, kinky folk, all the LGBTQIA community, um, because it's a really underserved community. And there are a lot of sex therapists who work with heterosexual people. And honestly, like, we don't need any more of those. In my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, there's very few sex therapists who specialize in the, in that, in that area, specifically around kink. So that felt like really important for me to study. Um, as a se sex therapists are basically, they're like psychotherapists. So it's talk therapy, but we specialize in sexual wellness as our, specific medium because a lot of therapists like very talented you can talk to them about anything but very few are specifically trained in how to talk about sex i even a lot of couples therapists and relationships therapists aren't specifically trained to talk about sex and as we think we all know we didn't all get great sex education and talking about sex can be awkward it can even be awkward for therapists so <laughs> yeah so like specifically around sexual sexual dysfunctions i don't like the word dysfunction but like sexual wellness problems like erectile dysfunction yeah or like vaginismus, vulvodynia, those are sorts of things that we'll deal with, as well as just working with clients who are looking to explore their sexuality in different ways, um, looking to open their relationships or work through different relational dynamics. And the, there is also a really big aspect of psychosexual education that comes with a sex therapist due to our poor sex education. So there's a much bigger emphasis on that when you're doing sex therapy. There's a lot of like educating around sexuality, but just because people aren't aware of what they don't know. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so, it's so true. There's so much. Well, first of all, like being a, a non-monogamous couple and also being queer people, like you do have to, when you go to see therapists, have to be really careful about the people that you choose. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like nice to just, you know, be able to talk to more people who do specialize in this area, but it's what I just really resonate with what you said about things, not, like you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes navigating that is like really challenging. Yeah. You know? Do you know what? Like, like I'm sure there are, there are a few, few of our listeners that maybe have had an experience out there where they've been broaching a new topic with their therapist and maybe it's more specific and maybe it's sex related or relationship, more relationship uh, focused. And they've kind of had a oh shit moment because they realize their therapist maybe isn't the best person to speak to about something. And there's nothing more like just sort of confusing and 
uh, maybe even upsetting about about that experience right with someone that you think you, you you hold i guess maybe we put therapists on a pedestal a little bit too much sometimes but but it, i guess people do that they have tr a lot of trust in this person and mm -hmm. then it's kind of yeah so that i guess where people specializing more specifically like you are it can be really helpful um to to, to have have more special specialized therapy therapy mm -hmm. like that yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of patients who I've like worked with where I one of the first things I do is with gender diverse clients and with all GSRD clients is kind of ask them what their experience of therapy has been in the past. And mm. it's a shocking amount of people who have had a therapist like shame them, uh, pathologize them in some way, try to convince them that their sexual identity like isn't their actual sexual identity mm -hmm. or yeah. try to focus on like these other areas rather than just like listening to what the client actually needs and wants. And so that can be really traumatizing and it can, it can put people off of therapy. So I think it's really brave when I have like patients coming back into therapy because they're willing to trust that system again. Cause a lot of people have that experience be really freaked out and then not trust mental health professionals anymore and not seek out the help they need. And that to me is like a really unfortunate uh, place of weakness in the field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, so so the, the, there can also uh, be a perception, right, of um, when we're talking about non-monogamy and kink, um, that's kind of about. Uh, I guess there's there's a conflation with being promiscuous all of the time, uh, which of course nothing wrong with that, but but maybe the the the. The problem is in that perception that it's it, that's always the way uh, non-monogamous people are or kinky people are. Um, but I mean, often, I think I can speak for me and Siobhan here at least, uh, it's as much about that as it is about personal exploration, exploration emotionally and phys as well as the physical. So where do you think that idea actually comes from, the non that non-monogamy equals sex? Um, and how can that be damaging? Sure. I mean, the short, the really short and sweet answer is heteropatriarchy. And <laughs> go <laughs> like, off. Yes. Yeah. Like, that, like we live in a, we live in a world that prides nuclear, that praises nuclear families, praises mm -hmm. monogamy, and doesn't have a particular tolerance for anything that falls outside of that norm. And there is a real quick, a quickness, an unfortunate quickness to demonize anything that falls outside of the social script. So if you are practicing a relationship in a way that is non-traditional based on our heteropatriarchal Western standards, you are suddenly bad, you're shameful, you're wrong. And the thing you're doing must be like, oh, it's like, it's not okay to be doing that. And like, you are clearly like wounded in some way and you can't truly love anyone. And like, why would you do that if you can't, like, why would you do that if you actually love someone? And it's always like really incorrect messaging. And I think a really important thing for non-monogamous people and well, all GSRD people to really understand is that when people are that quick to be so critical and rejecting you, that's not a reflection of you, your lifestyle, or anything that you are particular do particularly doing. It's a reflection of how uncomfortable the other person feels because they cannot mm. understand you. And their reaction to you is because what you have said makes them so uncomfortable and so insecure often about the way that they practice their lives. It makes, that, it makes you inherently question you're, if you say you're a monogamous, monogamous person and you're like being really critical of somebody who's not monogamous, that's because that's touched a nerve with you because that is threatening to your way of life. 
And so that's really where a lot of like the hate and stuff comes from. And then when we're talking specifically about hypersexualization, I think there's I think there's something to be said for um, the fact that they might be kind of jealous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's obviously that's reductive. Before. Obviously, really like that's reductive and like doesn't really like paint the full picture. But I do think there can be an element of that where they're like, and yeah. because there might be an element like a, a bit of envy that is reflected in that, that can make somebody become very defensive, critical, and nasty. But really what it comes down to also is just like we don't have education around alternative relationship styles that are not simply monogamous. And so people don't really know how to deal with that. And it can cause a lot of shaming and pathology and it can make people feel really shit about themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's funny as well, like this idea of shaming and I mean – I, as someone in a non-monogamous relationship, like partnered with like with someone who is polyamorous by orientation, I still, the, the power of that social conditioning is so strong. It surprises me time and time again when I feel shame for exploring my sexuality, for starting to date someone new, sleeping with a different person. It's, it's, I don't believe those things, but it's kind of within the very fibers of our being these, like, you know, it's really challenging to like dismantle all of that. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that shame piece for me and like that pathologizing is, is something that I notice comes up in my own life about what I'm doing. And one of, and I think when you are reminded that like people's reaction is a reflection of where they are in their mind. Doesn't make it suck less though. Oh, mm -hmm. 150%. It absolutely sucks so much, you know, because and that's like that kind of that piece of like you're never really done, quote, coming out, you know, mm. and like every time you have to have this conversation, maybe not as time goes on, but I can really only speak for myself. And like every time I have this conversation about, oh, well, we know we're not monogamous or I'm bisexual, whatever, there is a little bit of me that's like quite nervous because I don't want to have to deal with an adverse reaction. And I mean, the reality is there, there could be an adverse reaction. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. That's one of the hard lessons we learn. One of the small T traumas we undergo are those people who are really judgmental or questioning you or being like, or the, the dreaded one. If you have like, if it's, um, if it's like, if it's like a male presenting person and an AFAB person, they'll be like, how can you let him do that? How can you let your girlfriend do that as well? And it's mm -hmm. like, and it's just, it's like a complete misunderstanding of like yeah. what that is. But it's like, I think it's important that we have a lot of like self-compassion for ourselves in those moments. And to like, I think there can be a lot, there can be an added layer of guilt when you aren't like air quotes, like over it yet. And you aren't like, you just haven't gotten rid of all the shame. It's like that stuff runs really deep. Like those are messages we got from very early in childhood. Those wounds don't just go away. We can, we can start to heal them and they can become scars, but those that insidious messaging is going to show itself. And I think what's important is having compassion for ourselves, understanding that that's a normal feeling to have due to that messaging, notice it, give some love to ourselves in any way that we can, assure ourselves and our partners and recognize it and let it go and let it pass rather than stewing in it and spiraling. Mm -hmm. And could I ask you a little bit more about shame while we're on the topic? In your book, you do talk a lot about shame and and all of the things that can kind of feed into that and how that can really connect or marry up with sexuality and that exploration in a way that is not necessarily helpful um or it can be really like can genuinely prevent people from 
exploring their full selves. So I just wanted to ask you a little bit, like in your work, do you see this interplay between shame and, and sexual exploration a lot? Like how does that present in some of the work that you do? Yeah, and shame is a huge component. I don't think I've ever, I can probably say with total confidence, I've never had a patient who didn't exhibit some sort of like shame when it came to sex. It's one of the reasons they're seeking out a therapist, right? So like right. kind of a kind of self-selecting group, sure. But I think that <laughs> I don't think that I don't think that anyone, even if you grew up in the most like liberal, non-monogamous, sexy, hippie commune, um, you're still gonna have elements of society and messaging from social media and kind of like though like you'll be sure you have less shame, but it doesn't mean you don't have it because it comes from absolutely everywhere. And it can really impact the way that you explore your sexuality because there's also like, there's just really mixed messaging. Like you're supposed to explore your sexuality and you're a prude if you don't, but also if you do, you're a slut. And so it's kind of a no win. And it can stop people from embracing who they really are. It stops people from wanting to get sex toys, from masturbating, Mm -hmm. from exploring with new sexual partners. And you end up limiting yourself, self-policing in this way in the avoidance of shame, but really what you're doing is you're self-perpetuating a cycle because you're actually not letting yourself express yourself in a way that's authentically true to yourself. And I have literally done every single one of those. Masturbation, not buying sex toys. When I do sleep with someone for the first time, I feel Mm. all like, oh my God. Like, so every one of those things that you've listed, I like have experienced just myself, you know, I'm sure it resonates to a lot of other people. What about you? Uh, my, so my, the way my shame manifests is, um, randomly at really inconvenient points and for no apparent reason. Um, like obviously there is a reason, but it's, there's no, uh, I'll just randomly have this feeling of, of feeling like it awkward in my own skin and kind of like, like shameful of my own Mm. self. And, think, and and it's just it's really random like it can just pr- crop up and mm. then just fade away mm. and uh and and i i guess that's i don't it's like you said about stewing in it don't don't stew in it you know mm. um yeah it, but it's one of the worst it is really one of the worst feelings that you can it have. is i always say that shame is the stickiest emotion it yeah. really has a way of like once it's kind of in you it has a way of being kind of like tar and it sort of sinks into all the cracks of your psyche and it has a way of being very difficult to pull off yeah yeah and i really feel like that actually like if if you were to ask a painter to to illustrate pain and um, pain illustrate shame rather <laughs> uh shame pain you know um then i feel like it would be like a gooey sticky yeah. tarry like substance yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, Rich. I mean, obviously, Rich is a um, male presenting person. I'm, um, I female cisgender. Do you think there's a difference? Because even just like in the anecdotes we've just shared now, sure. you know, on women specifically or female presenting people as opposed to male presenting people, like maybe about how society teaches us about sexuality, or are there differences between those two sort of like traditional looking sort of Genders. Bearing in mind that we're both bisexual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the messaging, the thing about it is, is like uh, patriarchal messaging around gender kind of screws everybody over. It's not just women who get the messaging, like men get this messaging and mm-hmm. male presenting people, AMAT people get this messaging that they are supposed to always want sex. You're supposed to like want to fuck anything that moves. You should always be like ready to go at any time. You should never have emotions. 
Um, if you cheat, like that's fine because you're just you're a man. It's fine. <laughs> like, go. like go do that. Woo, love that for you. But like, but like you have you have no control basically. There's no agency, and like that's that's really unfair to men and AMAP people to have mm. them have those kinds of standards. Like, w- there's mass deviations among like how people sexually express themselves and and how people sexually identify. And if you don't fit into that male man box, then you're doing it wrong and you'll experience shame. It's just, man it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, I call it the man box. It's that very, very specific idea of what a man should be. Yes. Only use man wash, not your wife's body wash. Yeah. That kind of thing. It like, just, it can't, it just like, makes it me can't think of a like box of men. <laughs> it's like a man box. Which, of like, course floral... it does. Of course it does. Uh, this, floral... this group would think that. We yeah. Like oh, a box full of men. Creeps. <laughs> creeps and a half all of us um but yeah it's, it's like basically it's just like oh, the thing that people don't understand is that like that a lot of people who are like oh feminism eh, is like they don't understand that th- that messaging around toxic masculinity doesn't just harm women it harms men and it harms mm-hmm. a mad people because it sets up unrealistic expectations of how people are supposed to behave and it doesn't allow for a lot of variation outside of that norm and so you can experience shame as an AMAB person. It might not be in the exact same way. There's a lot of overlap, obviously, because like we're all told no sex before marriage and PIV is the only kind of sex and all this kind of stuff <laughs> that kind of screws a lot of all of us over. But I think the messaging for the shame men experience and the shame um, and AMAB people and AFAB people experience is similar, but it also is very different based entirely on the way that society genders people. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, Obviously, there's plenty to be said about the way um, we are perceived by others. But what about um, self-perception? How does self-perception play into our sex lives? I think like what we actually have to start doing in order to find our most authentic sexual selves is starting to unpick and separate what belongs to us and our authentic sexual selves and what is messaging that was given to us. Mm -hmm. And that can be really difficult. Because so much of the messaging that we have been fed can feel like it's a part of you because it's like been basically ingrained into your psyche as being the the capital T truth. And a lot of like what we do in sex therapy is starting to unwind a lot of that messaging in order to allow people to have this space to grow into their own authentic sexual selves in a way that feels safe and healthy for them. And it's like your self-perception is not just an internal creation it's a biopsychosocial creation based on everything around you as well as everything in society and your environment, your, your uh, financial situation, your background, your, the religion you did or didn't grow up with. And all of that stuff plays a role in how we view ourselves. And so it's trying to find out like what in that feels authentic and right and what in that is stuff that was pushed onto us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, and trying to unpack that. Well, can I just can I actually say that so many of the conversations that we have on on this podcast, um, the the recurring theme is uh, this this kind of undoing a lot of the work that society has tried so hard to, um, you know, uh, yeah, just undoing a lot, a lot of a lot of that, a lot of that that shitty stuff that. That it's it's really it's really difficult because in some ways it's like well did this happen by design and I guess in a lot of ways it did but then it had to start somewhere and it's kind of like well 
where, where like where did that where was that intersecting point where between start? yeah between <laughs> between it being like oh well this gives us more power so we'll just play into this more i'm talking about the dudes here um because it was the dudes can i stop you for one second because i want to just say like in what you're saying there is like i don't i think the important an important distinction to make is that we're not trying to we don't necessarily need to find out exactly the day i was told that i should only have sex or where exactly that memory (laughs) comes from it's really it's not so much like where did it come from it's like, does that actually belong to me or is that something that was handed to me? Mm. And yeah, I think when you can yeah, yeah. broaden it a little bit more and it's and you can kind of step away from it more in like a macro level, it becomes easier to distinguish. Yeah, yeah. And I think that can help with letting it go because like you can feel in your body if you have if you've done the tools and self-soothing that you do in therapy, you can feel in your body like what feels right for you and what feels like something that makes you feel shitty. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. and what are some of those tools like that when if someone's going on this journey trying to shed themselves of like the hypersexualization and the slut shaming and you know the um assumption of that all queer people are gross and you know non-monogamous people just want to sleep with everything that moves. You know, what are some of those tools that Sure. Yeah. Um so I'm a big proponent of community healing, so I think that one of the first things that like you can do is like a person who is queer is seeking your community and finding people who share the same values as you because a lot of queer people not all of them but a lot of queer people come from backgrounds where they're not surrounded by people who would think like they do and that's incredibly isolating and that can lead to a lot of shame a lot of self um stunting when it comes to sexual exploration so i would definitely start with like that kind of that kind of community And then I think there's a lot to be said about understanding um, emotional flooding and starting to be able to do self-soothing, which can really be as simple as just focusing on your breath. And I'd like to use the box breathing technique where you breathe in for four and then hold for four, out for four. And that just helps. It's about nervous system regulation and being able to sit with uncomfortable emotions. And like, as you start to practice those tools, you can feel more at home and safer in your body, which is really, really key when you're starting to explore sexually, because for a lot of people, their body is not a safe place for them. And that can be very, very especially true for queer people, because they've always been told that the body they're in is wrong. And the way that they love and want to have sex and want to explore is wrong inherently, like you're bad. And so sometimes your body and yourself, your identity doesn't feel like a safe place to inhabit. And that can lead to a lot of like huge amounts of disconnection from yourself and your sexuality. So being able to soothe and be safe in your body, that's step one. There's lots of self-soothing techniques, which would take hours to go through, but <laughs> there's plenty. And once you're able to be safe in your body, that's when you can start to make the like brain and body connection to pleasure and start to build those pathways more. And I recommend masturbation for everybody. I think that self-exploration is so key. Um, because it actually allows you to understand that not only can your body experience pleasure, but that you can give pleasure to yourself and that it's safe. And that's kind of where I would start with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good place to start. It is a good place to start. Yeah. Someone on this show once said to us that, um, group sex is anything other than sex with yourself. Yeah. And I just think like, when it's like when you think, okay, I don't actually need a partner like I'm told to. To mm-hmm. be able to do that exploration, mm-hmm. like you it's can solo sex. It's, yeah, you're on your own. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and like that is just not something that I was taught or learned about as a kid, to be honest. So it was just like, you yeah. know, I'll look out for all the bits. 
So yeah, um, I mean, sort of on this track of um, feeling like, well, I mean, I'm just gonna, I'll just ask the question, and then you'll you'll you'll, you'll see how this uh, sort of segues <laughs> in quite nicely because. Uh, because the the, seg- the segways don't always come naturally. We are doing an interview, uh, so that's what we're get- we're just going to ask the questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, Generally, but, how interviews go. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day, people. Um, so when when I came out as polyamorous by orientation, uh, there was I, I felt compelled to apologise for who I was, and I think this is something that queer people mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. I mean, instantly relate to. Um, yeah, there was there was a there was a guilt there that I was like imposing things on Siobhan or just basically like yeah, just bringing this new thing to the table that was in- inconvenient, I guess. Um, let's. I think I'd like to know get your thoughts on on why there is this guilt around sort of sexual identity and. Uh, and more importantly, I think what would be more more crucial to our listeners would be: Are there any cool tips that you have <laughs> for uh, dealing with that, that guilt? Yeah, I mean, I think specifically what you were saying about feeling like you needed to apologize for your identity yeah. is actually that's a self protection mechanism mm-hmm. because when you apologize, you preemptively apologize, you're preemptively protecting yourself from an attack from another person. So it actually makes a lot of sense that you would, that that's actually like not, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it, it would be better if you didn't feel the need to do that in the first place. But the reason I believe people do that is to preempt any kind of backlash that they may receive from somebody yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of one layer of it. And then when it comes to sort of the guilt, I think we sort of we circle back to that good old heteropatriarchy. Um, I think it's interesting within your dynamic because you are a male presenting person, there is very much this idea that like, oh, look, I'm polyamorous now, but that's just my excuse for going to go and have sex with lots of people. And like, that's, but like, I'm a man and I should be allowed to do that, that kind of thing. And it's that, it's like, that's the messaging that like, oh, my poor female partner that I've done this to. Yeah, yeah. But like, that's because that's literally the social script you were fed. So I think that it makes sense that that would be emotions that would come up in that instance. I think when it comes to like tips on how to deal with the guilt is to have these sort of self-reflective conversations and self-reflection with your partners and with yourself about like, where, where is this guilt coming from? Is that something that is justified or is this something that I'm feeling as a result of monogamy culture, making me feel like I have to fit into this box and like kind of being able to recognize where the actual truth is and getting reassurance from our partners can be like a really important part of that, especially sort of in your dynamic, you know, you can reassure each other that it's something you both want to be exploring. And I think that can be really deeply healing because then you're kind of in it together. Again, that's that community healing aspect. Mm. Um, And also I think understanding that the guilt and the shame feelings are not necessarily going to go away. I think we can have a lot more self-compassion for ourselves and recognize those sort of not so good feelings and be like, I recognize that that's something I'm feeling. I'm being triggered by something. I'm going to notice it. I'm going to sit with it, not push it away. Cause we often tend to self-soothe with like food or uh, exercise or something sort of try to make the feelings go away. But I think what can be so much more beneficial is learning how to sit with those uncomfortable emotions and learning how to like breathe and let them go kind of without, judging ourselves for having them 
And I think that's sort of the biggest thing that we can do. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Not judging ourselves for having them. That's just so... <laughs> it's just like so multi-layered, isn't it? It's just like I'm feeling this thing and then I've got feelings about the feelings and I feel like I shouldn't be feeling this thing about the feelings and it's just trying to yeah. unpack all of that can be, you know, hard. But And maybe, maybe this is an assumption... I mean, this yeah. is coming from uh, this is coming from my experience as growing growing up as a as a man, mm. um, male presenting. Well, being raised, a, you know, you were raised a man to be a man. Yeah, that's you? that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah, uh, <laughs> is um, are you mansplaining being a man? Yeah, <laughs> I love that journey for us. But <laughs> <laughs> it's come full circle, hasn't it? That's brilliant. <laughs> The uh, feminists really had it this time. Yeah. <laughs> They've gone too far. Uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> how are we going to move on from that? What, uh, sorry, what were you going to ask? I don't even know anymore. No. Um, I think that this this kind of uh, introspective uh, kind of journey uh, is one that men struggle with particularly i think that they're told because they're not they you know like you said mentioned earlier they're told no no emotions allowed uh, mm. no, and if you feel them then then push them down and ignore them or whatever uh but uh yeah like i mean there are so many men in my life that uh for, I, I find them frustrating and, and i shouldn't um but but the <laughs> but because because they're you know falling victim to um these patriarchal norms um that as you rightfully said earlier they you know patriarchy also negatively impacts dudes too a lot more than they realize so yeah like it just yeah the, the whole kind of having an internal dialogue and working through those things it just it seems to be it's one of i think it you know it's probably one of the reasons why depression rates are higher in men right because they just don't Bottling up those feelings, you know. Yeesh. And uh, it's just like the great. more that we have this discussion, the more I'm just like reflecting on what you've been saying, Gigi. Sort of what we've been saying, and it's I just I'm hearing so much of of just it's all uh, all these things are just about the structures that we live within, and the challenges come when you yeah. want to be out, live outside those structures. Yeah, this is what I was or that you are. alluding to earlier. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. you know, that is just such a strong through line with everything that we've been talking mm -hmm. about. We've asked yeah. you about a bunch of different things and it just comes back to that. And I think like really helpful, at least from just a personal standpoint of like reminding myself that like that's not mine mm -hmm. and that's, that's just mm -hmm. like that's a really helpful thing to remind yourself of when you're feeling these things or as you say, you're sitting in those emotions. Um, yeah. It's not actually mine. That's quite nice. I'm, I'm into that. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm yeah. Gonna, and I'm I think what you were that. saying before about like being, feeling um, frustrated with men. Um, I think it's okay to have those feelings of frustration where we can also extend p compassion Yeah. because yeah. of the ways that like when someone isn't being emotionally forthright or isn't doing this kind of self reflection work that you would like to see somebody doing is to understand the kind of barriers that they're living in and trying to yeah, see exactly, that exactly. with the compassion, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's like a big component of it. I have so much compassion for men who are raised in this way of thinking that, like, their emotions don't matter, they shouldn't have them, and if they do, they should push them away and not think about them. That's why we have mm. higher rates of suicide in men, higher rates of depression, um, and why we see so much violence. Um, yeah. 
because like when you don't have a way to process your emotions and you're and you don't have a way of of being comfortable with that it can really take a toll mm-hmm. yeah 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 it's such a failing really isn't it for men as well as everyone else yeah 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 um let's talk about sex briefly we can talk about it less briefly <laughs> well it doesn't have to be brief but you know, you know. let's see how it goes um <laughs> more specifically uh safer sex practices so uh, the real spicy stuff. Uh, physically. It should be spicy. It, yes, it should be. Okay, good. Absolutely. <laughs> I, wasn't be, I wasn't being sarcastic at all. Okay, apologies. Safe sex is spicy. Um, physically, but also emotionally as well. Uh, do you have any tips? I, I love asking people for tips. Um, this episode is all about the tips. For <laughs> but for how, more specifically, to how to care for your partner's um and yourself mm-hmm. as they embark on the journey to finding your authentic sexual self. Right. I mean, I think like if we're talking about the physical health stuff, like regular STI panels, if you yeah. are sleeping with multiple people every six months um, or every time you have a new sexual partner. So, and then share those results. There are plenty of apps where you can do that. It's good stuff. Obviously barrier methods are your best friend, condoms, dental dams, the usual. And I mean, I think you'll get that from any sex educator. We covered those bits. Great. Okay. Yes. Now that we've gone to that. Thanks for the recap. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I think also like when we're talking about emotional safety, yes. um, communication is your very best friend and boundaries. Uh, being respectful of other people's boundaries and being very communicative and open about what your boundaries are. I always say that like when it comes to setting a boundary, you'll learn a lot more about people by setting it than you would if you didn't because how they respond to the you setting a boundary will tell you everything you need to know about them. So that's like a huge component. And I think like an example of that would be like, um, my boundary is that like, you know, I have two partners and I really only have time to be on dates like uh, Mondays and Fridays. And like, those are going to be, those are my date nights. And if, the, if you set that boundary and you're like, that's really like, that's the time that I can give you. We'll use a really straightforward boundary. Um, and the other partner is trying to convince you to spend more time with them and try to break those times that you've set. And they're pushing against it and complaining and making you feel like shit about setting the boundary. Um, that tells you a lot about their incompatibility with, with the boundary that you've set, which may mean that they're not particularly compatible with you. That's kind of a broad example. And obviously there's a lot of nuance there and people can be flexible, but I think when people aren't respectful of your boundaries, that's like a huge thing. And when it comes to like caring for our partners, I think like, making sure that you are giving enough emotional a, a emotional care to every one of your partners in an equal way, assuming you're non-hierarchical and polyamory. And still, even if you have a hierarchical structure, you should be giving the same compassion to your secondary and tertiary partners as you are to your primary, because everybody deserves respect and autonomy. So it's like making sure that you have the emotional capacity be, to be doing that. And if you find that in certain places you're not meeting this, that criteria within yourself to feel like you're being a good partner, to reevaluate with that partnership. Because that's like a, it's really important that everybody feels taken care of. And when it comes to sex and taking care of ourselves emotionally, I cannot emphasize enough how much we all need aftercare. It doesn't matter if you, which is this, sorry, aftercare is a kink term where you have all the, after sex, cuddling, talking, showering together, having a cup of tea looks different for everybody. 
but having the time to decompress and talk through kind of the sex you were having. It's usually used in kink for more intense BDSM scenes, but I think that all sex should have aftercare. It's a, a chance to like emotionally connect and to like kind of process your feelings. And then if you leave that partner, check in. I think check-ins are so important. Like, how are you feeling? I had a really good time with you last night. Like, how are you feeling about everything? And just making sure that everybody is feeling good. And if there is an issue that comes up, being willing to address it, take responsibility for a part you played in it, be authentic to yourself and actually have accountability if you made a mistake mm. and as opposed to becoming resentful or defensive. Mm. That's a very comprehensive. It is list. very helpful. Yeah. And um, yeah, like sometimes uh, when you're hearing these things get kind of uh, laid out in front of you by someone, you're you're kind of almost ticking boxes in your head and making sure like am I am I doing this am I doing things right too and I think and if that, there's stuff that you have that was wasn't on the list now you know yeah you yeah. yeah 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 exactly and it's also just it's like I say this all the time for us we sort of say this all the time having this show and connecting with people who are in the kink spaces or the non monogamy space or the queer spaces whatever they are is like sort of that community building element that you spoke about a little bit earlier. And it's just really nice to be able to have like conversations and bring conversations to our listeners where it is a safe space for you to be like, oh God, I haven't been doing that. I might need to Google aftercare or, yeah. you know, oh, I didn't realize that you could, it could look how you wanted. I thought aftercare had to be this exact thing and just mm. sort of helping you interrogate that. And that is one of my most favorite things about being queer and non-monogamous is that, um, the commitment to evolution within yourself mm -hmm. and being able to revisit these things, check in with yourself, with your partners and continue to evolve and grow. That's something that I think is particularly encouraged in sort of the more queer spaces and not necessarily something I experienced when I was in monogamous relationships in the past. So yeah, it's just really nice to be able to do that. You know? Yeah, we're a self-reflective bunch. We are. Yeah. And it's quite nice. Really. Yeah, we're so cute. Isn't it? It is cute. It can be challenging, but like, I mean, there was a, you know, I think back times when I wasn't as self-reflective and uh, I wouldn't trade trade the, uh, the the sort of easiness, if you will, of, of not having to think about these things with um, with the feeling of, of feeling repressed that I had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know? There's nothing like the sort of fullness, richness, and sense yeah. of, of calm you get when you're surrounded by other queer people and you've taken mm -hmm. the time to like self-reflect and have those deeper conversations yeah. um, and share your, sharing your struggles and uh, your wins and your struggles and being able to like think things through with people who aren't going to be judgmental. Yeah. Community yeah. healing. <laughs> Indeed. Um, we would love for you to please share where people can find you. Yeah. on the internet um, and your book and your other offerings yeah, and not, all the things. Not geographically. Yeah, like, no, we, we don't, don't need yeah. you how to ask address. Yeah, no, that's no, fine. Not, not, not my social security number. No, no, no? You, you can leave that out. That's fine. Okay, yeah. amazing. Perfect. Okay, you well, can you give can... us that after afterwards. Amazing. Yeah, I'll, also <laughs> send, yeah, I'll send you that. Okay. Okay, the serious stuff. Okay, you can find me on my website at MissGGangle.com. I'm also, I work at the Therapy Yard. You can find all the booking information on my website if you want to come have a session with me. Come come and play. It's super fun. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Gigi Angle. And my book, All the Fucking Mistakes, is available wherever books are sold. 
Amazing. Check it out, guys. Sweet. How That's like good. the book equivalent of get our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. You know. They're like, oh, you know, all good bookstores. Yeah. yeah. Write a book and then you can say both things. Oh, my God. The dream. We're, I'm working on it, working Gigi. On. Don't worry. Um, I'm just slow. Well, cheers. Because books are hard to write. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a lie. <laughs> very, much, very much like the, it's like a ba- having a baby. It's a it, lot. <laughs> that takes like like years to come out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh dear. dear. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Gigi, for coming on the show. It is like, I just loved our discussion. I can't wait to go back and listen to it and share it with the world. So thank you just for coming you on and sharing your time day. with us. Yeah, of course. Really Thank you guys so it. much. This was really, really fun. All right, and guys. Enlightening. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks very much. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.